As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yo, yo, welcome to the Forum Club. I'm your host, Yovan Buhak, Lakers beat writer, the athletic joined by bill orham and anthony slater as always gentlemen it's been a while how are you doing good i i, I like your yo-yo to, to begin the podcast is that your signature open it's my signature open yo yo vaughn that that actually used to be my aim screen name uh back in in middle school and, wow uh, <laughs> about tw- 2014 was lit at your house <laughs> uh, d- did you guys have aim yeah mine was like it was like a mix of my name and like all star, like a slot. I don't know. I, it, I did. I can't remember the exact all star Slater. It was I, it was some type of mix that, that it made sense. I don't know. I can't remember the exact uh, screen name, but I definitely remember I am messaging on uh, AIM. And that was like so new at the time. That was so cool. You were like you were like an all slate player. <laughs> Basically, I mean, it, it was something similar to that. That that used to be how I would ask girls out in middle school, like sixth to eighth grade. It was you, you hit them up on on AIM. Oh, th- were, were, were were away messages still a thing when you you were yeah, in the two thousands? Yeah. <laughs> and there was the there was another one, Slater. You're you guys are both young. There was another one, like I want to say it was DEQ, but that stands for Department of Environmental Quality. What's the there was another there was I had MSN Messenger that was huge where I grew up. Then I had AIM, and then there was another one that was like. Uh, it was it had like more like special effects and stuff. I, have to go I remember MySpace becoming super big. That's what. Oh I yeah, this is this is way yeah, before MySpace. Way before that was MySpace. like you would put your top eight friends on MySpace and like if if at school maybe you got in a fight with somebody or like you know I see you with somebody. Okay, there you go. But you put them I, in your I top. It was like for you guys. Dramatic. It, it was it was dramatic. The the top eight who's. But you can you know, sort of, and we you, could, you could, you we could, could, tra- you could we, we definitely can tra- use this as a transition. But like, <laughs> yes. you remember that you could, you could like, like I don't know, if maybe I was just more subtle. But like, Yovan would use aim to like ask girls out. Like, it's like if you moved a girl into like your top eight on MySpace, just to kind of like give her that, that that little wink, wink that um that that you know or. Or you moved them off, and it wasn't just a top eight. You could like rank them within the eight, and then also the one thing about it is you could have a song 
But yeah. like, you know, when you went to the page, like what song? You had backgrounds, you had oh, frames. My face is wild. Let's I could transition it because <laughs> who is Rob Palinka's top eight? I'm Rob Palinka. Who's LeBron James top yeah, eight? No he, he changed his top eight. Uh, yeah, so a, a lot has happened since our last podcast. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks won the championship, but in Laker world, the most relevant thing is the Russell Westbrook trade, and I think that's where we have to start. Uh, I did a pod a, a few days ago with my reaction, but I think I think it's important to look at it in, in two different ways where first, your initial reaction of when the Lakers made the trade, especially in comparison with the Buddy Heel deal, and then now post-signings, now that they've filled out the roster, what you think of the deal. So, Bill, let's start with you. What was your initial reaction to the Russell Westbrook trade and where are you at now after they filled out the roster? I don't think I've changed a whole lot um, just because I think they filled out the roster the way they needed to once they got Russ, which was at that point, you need to go all in on shooting. And I, th- I really think they did. I mean, they for for what they had, um, you know, in terms of spending power, they got guys who've shot, you know, career highs last year, Mello, Baysmore, Wayne Ellington. I mean, those are guys who shot career high from three last year. And I think that that's at least, you know, doing your best to sort of address the glaring deficiency in Russell Westbrook's game and in your lineup once you brought him in. But I mean, some of the problems that we all were kind of talking about when they first got Russ are still there because Russ is going to play a lot of minutes with LeBron. Russ is still going to be on the floor, um, you know, with AD. So there are, it's not just having, because all these, you know, eight, nine shooters they've just gotten are not going to be on the floor at the same time. And remember, Houston had, you know, some tremendous shooters around Russell Westbrook all the time. And it didn't make him, you know, it didn't, it didn't necessarily solve the issues that, that he had on the floor either. So I think there's still things for the Lakers to work out, but my overall reaction is positive um, simply because I don't think the Lakers were getting it done with, with last year's roster. I think last year's roster was uninspiring. I think it was unexciting um, to LeBron. I'm not entirely sure what level of excitement, you know, not that LeBron would have, wouldn't have been motivated if you brought back some form of last year's team, but I do think bringing in another high level basketball IQ competitor like Westbrook gives LeBron um, and Anthony Davis sort of that extra fire that this is sort of a turning of the page. So I think that there's um, a lot to be said for just kind of the, the, the re-energy, the, the, the new energy in the building. And then I think, um, I think the Lakers have, you know, addressed their deficiencies as well as they could with what they had available. I think there were several, very reasonable and, and good minimum signings. I, my criticism of the offseason would be if this Buddy Heald trade was really on the table, I think that would have been a better fit. Buddy Heald, and they would not have had to give up at the KCP, right? KCP so, and the pick. Yeah, the, the, so the pick was would, debatable, but like probably, uh, yeah. like possibly KCP and the pick. Yeah. So, and then maybe you use the pick to get, you know, help elsewhere, or maybe you use the pick on a guy that you think can, can be part of a young core, which is a very diminished young core in, in, in LA. But I mean, I guess THD is still around. But my point is, I just like when Russell Westbrook is on a team, Russell Westbrook, it commandeers that too. And I understand that, like, obviously, he's never been on a team necessarily with LeBron, but look, I've covered him for years in Oklahoma City uh, with Kevin Durant on the team. And like, he kind of takes on his personality and, and he can't really be a role player. He can't suddenly be like, hey, let me throttle the game back and back cut and space the floor a little bit. Like, if you got Russell Westbrook, you're going to have a high usage Russell Westbrook or else there's no point to have Russell mm-hmm. Westbrook. So, like, they invited the Russell Westbrook experience onto the team and it's going to be entertaining for you too i think it's just i i still probably would view them as a favorites because i think the west overall is down but 
it's there's going to be a lot of thorny moments, including like I think there's going to be moments where Frank Vogel on certain nights is like you might need to bench that forty million dollar point guard um, because if he's out there trying to play a like third banana, he, he's never really been able to do that. Well, he's he's been third on his team in field goal attempts once, and that was his rookie year. And, and that was, I believe, Ooh, by like fun. one. Who, who, who were the who were the top two? Was it uh, yeah. obviously KD? I and then would it have been like yeah. Jeff Green? Jeff Green? That, was, that, was, that, was my, I, that was my guess. And I think it was like one or two shots. I think it was that close where it was like Russ was barely third. Well, not only that, um, he was he started the season on the bench because PJ Carlissimo didn't think he was a um, point guard, and Earl Watson was starting ahead of him. And eventually, Scott Brooks came in. PJ Carlissimo got fired. They handed it over the point guard. So I bet if you look at like the seasonal splits, if you look in the last two months, he had already you know graduated to like this my team essentially. I mean, there was there was there were seasons where he probably you know have more average more field goal attempts than Durant. Now, he has played next to Durant when he's won a scoring title. I believe Harden won a scoring title when he was in Houston. But just think about the Houston experience. Uh, they completely reformed the team to fit Russell Westbrook, even though it was James Harden's team. Like, the, remember the Capella deal, um, putting P.J. Tucker at center? It was basically because, like, Russell Westbrook kind of had to be the center, essentially, uh, for, for Mike D'Antoni's style to work. And I just – he just really complicates the – dynamics on the floor and i mean yovan i know you've written about this bill too like it's a lot of davis at the center is like almost imperative yet they also added dwight howard and still have marcus i think the craziest thing to me was going back and watching film on the lakers rockets 2020 playoff series and seeing how the game plan was so clearly to ignore russell westbrook and yeah. i had a clip in in my westbrook story of like uh, there's like this off ball action that he flares out off of a screen into the corner and AD and KCP are, are the, the two defenders in the action, two of the Lakers, you know, better defenders. And they just both like kind of look at each other and they don't close out on Russ and they're like a good eight feet off of him. And he clanks a wide open corner three pointer. And to see how stark that game plan was of just as long as Russ is not getting to the rim, we will let him take threes. We will take, let him take long twos. We'll even let him pull up from 12 feet and not really care for that to have been the game plan basically a year ago, right? Less than a year ago. And then for them to be adding that guy as like the third guy, it's just, you know, and I know there was, I think reading the tea leaves, clearly there, there was, you know, it felt like with the whole buddy heel thing, the Lakers were obviously negotiating that with the Kings. And then you had the reporting come out that LeBron and AD were meeting with Russ and, and sort of recruiting him. So it almost feels like this was more of a LeBron AD thing where they were like, we really want this guy as our third guy. You know, he's on board. Let's make this happen. And it kind of came together at the 11th hour. Uh, so I, I don't, it's tough to say how much you put this on, on the Lakers versus how much you put this on their stars. But to me, like it, there's just kind of a cognitive dissonance there of, this was a guy that helped you guys win a playoff series by you just ignoring him. And now you're trying to fit that guy into your offense. Players love Russell Westbrook. They, that like, he's the kind of dude that like, you know, that tenacious spirit and, and stars love him. And LeBron clearly does. The one thing I would say about him, he's like, he's a hall of famer. He's had an unbelievable career, but I do think, you know, especially compared to the Lakers, other two stars, he's declined. 
he like this, you know, we could talk about the Oklahoma City days and you know how he fit with with KD. Like I cover those teams. He was much more explosive. He his he used to be like a pretty automatic mid-range shooter and free throw shooter. That's gone. The mid-range is not accurate anymore. His free throw percentage has gone from like the 80s down to like the 60s. Um, and it's just you know, he, as he's dealt with injuries over the years, he's had several knee surgeries. I think part of the reason he was really bad in the bubble, that which you mentioned, was like, you know, he was dealing with a few health things. And, you know, we'll see. Like, I guess LeBron kind of has those question marks, but he's aged so gracefully and he's held his game up so well. And then obviously Davis is mid-prime. That's the one difference. I do think there's like, it's going to be kind of tried to present it like the Lakers, like the big three, but it's like, you know, one of the big three. I almost compare him to Mel. I know his salary is very different than Carmelo, but Russ is nearing like the Carmelo stage of his career, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, you can present it as a big three from a marketing standpoint and from a, um, you know, excitement standpoint. But honestly, Russell Westbrook can't think it's a big three, right? Like there needs to be an understanding of this is still LeBron's team and this is LeBron and AD at the top. But but you're right. If Russ isn't being, you know, us, if he doesn't have the ball in his hands and he's not attacking and, you know, playing kind of, you know, his 150 mile per hour game, then he's not going to be effective. In fact, at that point, he's probably more or less unplayable. So I do think that Frank Vogel has a, a lot on his plate to figure out uh, with, 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 with those guys, but then also, you know, some of the pieces that are coming in too, where you've got guys like Carmelo Anthony, like I know uh, Yovan and I have gone back and forth on this off, uh, off, offline, but you know, Yovan has I talked guess, about, yeah. I want to guess which one to use all in and which one to use all out on Carmelo. I'm guessing Bill's in because he had a good season for the Portland Trailblazers last year and Yovan is out. I'm not, I'm not all in on Mello. That's not even the debate we've had. Like I'm fine with the Mello signing at this point, because I do think that Mello has, has sort of adapted to being a role player, you know, something he wouldn't have done three years ago. I think he is, you know, kind of come to terms with being with coming off the bench. Um, but Yovan thinks that Carmelo is going to be a fringe rotation player. And that is not happening. Carmelo Anthony, barring just a, you know, just being terrible, which I suppose could happen is going to play on this team. Like he did not come, LeBron James did not bring his best friend to come play with him in LA to sit on the bench. Like Melo's going to play. Um, and so then it becomes a, a matter of like how you actually integrate him. So he's not hurting you too much with on the defensive end and you're getting the most out of him offensively. Let, let's, this is a good transition because let, let's talk about the, the other signings. And so to a quick recap, the Lakers re-signed Taylor Horton Tucker to a three-year, $32 million deal. They used their taxpayer mid-level exception on Kendrick Nunn. And then they signed Wayne Ellington, Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore, Dwight Howard, Carmelo Anthony, and Malik Monk to veteran minimum deals for one season. Enjoy that um, locker room. Just when you lay that out, that's going to be quite a beat writing experience. It's a really interesting team. But um, what was your guys' favorite signing? And what was your least favorite signing? Um, I, I think my, my least favorite is is no surprise. I, I think it's for me, it's mellow. And I, I get let's just start on the mellow one. Then. Let's start on mellow because to me, my, my, my mellow issue is this with the way I think that the biggest decline in the roster from last season and really the last two seasons to this season is perimeter defense, particularly in the backcourt at the guard spots. I think going from KCP, Alex Caruso. Dennis Schroeder and Wes Matthews, who could still technically be resigned, but I don't really see a, a role for him currently. Um, to go from those four guys who are all plus defenders, and, and in three of the guys' cases, multiple, you know, multi-position defenders, 
to go from those four to Russell Westbrook, who is defensively disinterested, gambles a lot, just takes way too many risks. Uh, and then Malik Monk, minus defender. Kendrick Nunn, small and a minus defender. Wayne Ellington, minus defender. Um, and, and then I guess you could technically slide, you know, Bazemore can play some two, although he was primarily a three with the Warriors. Ariza, I guess, can slide down to the three, although he played almost 100% of his minutes in Miami at the four. Melo clearly is a four. LeBron is more of a four, but he's going to play some th- Like, I'm just looking at this team, and I'm like, who's guarding? You're, you're, you're playing the Warriors. Who's guarding Steph? Who's guarding Clay? You're playing... Who's guarding Jonathan Kaminga? Who's going to... Who's going <laughs> to lock him up? No, no, sorry. But, like, sorry, you're, sorry. you're playing Portland. Who's guarding Dame? Who's guarding CJ? Like, they don't... I mean, th- that's where I guess I, I look at Bazemore, and I'm like, he might have a, a larger-than-expected role in this team because they just need his defense so much. But with, with that's Mel- what they to- told him apparently, because he took less money uh, to go to the yeah. Lakers instead of the Warriors. And he he actually he's gonna foul like crazy. I mean, you guys should look at his fouls per thirty six. But he he will be kind of pesky, pick up full court. He'll he'll take shifts on scores. But your general point is right. You want him to have a shift. You don't want him to be your lockdown guy. So yeah, just just reading the tea leaves here, it's like okay, you have Westbrook who's going to play. I mean, we, we know he's he's locked in thirty two to thirty four minutes, right? Like he, he's not playing fewer than that. You just spent your taxpayer MLE on Kendrick Nunn, so you got to figure he's going to play. Then you just resign THT to a ten plus million dollar deal. You got to think his role is going to grow. Malik Monk is former lottery pick, still twenty three years old. I, I think he has some untapped potential there. So I think like the the backcourt is kind of. And Wayne Ellington, for me right now, is, is the current starting shooting guard, although that, I think, could change. But, like, you you have a backcourt glut kind of pushing up, in my opinion, Bazemore and Ariza to, like, the 3-4 range. You already have LeBron there. Like, where's Carmelo fit into that? And, like, to me, any minute Carmelo's on the floor probably is a minute Trevor Ariza or Kent Bazemore are losing. And if those two guys are your best perimeter defenders and you're already lacking in the backcourt... I think you need to play those guys, you know, 18 to, to 23, 24 minutes a night. And that's why I just don't see where Melo fits unless unless they're just going all in on offense and saying, like, we don't really care about defense or they're squeezing THT or Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk. And they're like, you guys are young and not playing on this veteran laden team. Like, I, I just don't I think there's a minutes crunch kind of already. And for me, the, the most expendable guy is Melo just because of how bad defensively he is. I think one of Bill's earlier points on it, you know, should be taken into account, which is like, this is LeBron James led recruitment of Carmelo, which probably very likely means like a guaranteed early season role. We all three of us know how NBA seasons go. What, what, what is happening in game one through 20 doesn't necessarily mean what's going to be happening in the playoffs. So I do think there'll be segments to this season. Do you guys remember when Dwayne Wade played for the Cavs? I mean, it's hard, it's hard to remember now, but LeBron brought one of his best friends into a championship situation. He was aging. Dwayne Wade was really bad. Uh, You know, this was very, very late in his career and he had Dwayne Wade shipped back to Miami uh, by midseason, I mean, I think it was like an agreed upon situation, mm-hmm. but I think, I mean, LeBron kind of came to the realization, and I'm sure Wade did too. Like, look, don't work in, go have your swan song in Miami. And I do think that's, you know, what you're t- the, the issues you're talking about with Carmelo probably will, you know, come to the surface, but I think he'll have a rotation spot until they come to the surface. Um, and where I would compare where I could see him fitting in in a rotation overall by playoff time would be like a Markeith Morris role, right? I mean, kind of like the the big you know, st- stretch uh, guy who can 
pretends like he can guard, but isn't really that good of a defender. But um, there are certain nights where you come out. Remember when Markeith Morris, you, you mentioned the Rocket series. Remember yeah, game two. They, yeah, they put him on the court in the first quarter. I think he went like three or three from three, like changed the game. Like that's probably – and what, what would you consider Markeith – Last year, like the tenth, eleventh man on the lake. Yeah, right. He was, he was, yeah, he was right the 10th, in there. Tenth, eleventh. He's borderline. And, and and I just think that like also like there has to be an allowance for the fact that like this team needs to be deep because it's so old. You know, they're like Trevor Ariza is thirty-seven years old. You know, Kent Bazemore is thirty-two Ooh. and has had his and has had his issues. You know, I mean, LeBron obviously we know, um, and 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 then Mello. So to me, it's just sort of like with with the age of these dudes. Is that right? Ariza's thirty-seven. Did I get that right? Is yeah, it? Yeah, thirty. I think he might be turning thirty-seven. I'm not sure. Okay, he's thirty-six or thirty-seven. But, but I mean, you know, Trevor Ariza has been a guy who's been, you know, kind of bouncing around for the last few years and has value, you know, because of what his skill set is. But it's certainly a diminished skill set. Like he's not, you know, the Rockets Ariza of, of, you know, three years ago. And he was, he was, he was, he was good for the Heat last year. I think, uh, you know, once he got uh, uh, sent from Oklahoma City. But, um, you know, that was also he played half of a season. You know, he hasn't played a full season in several years. You know, he opted out in Portland of going to the bubble. So it's like, you haven't seen Ariza over the course of a full season in the playoffs in a long time. Um, so his durability, I think, is, is a reasonable question. And that leads to all sorts of possibilities of where, you know, Melo could end up fitting in, um, you know, Baysmore, all that. I mean, I think it's a lot of guys who, if they are the best version of themselves, will really end up helping this team. But a lot of things are going to have to go right or – maybe more to the point, a lot of things are going to not have to go wrong. Yeah. Any other candidates for worst signing? Worst. Uh, Yovan came to the podcast today, like with takes and and like, (laughs) he's just diving into the negativity. He's like, anyone else got a worse signing? I'm maybe going to go best, but um, worst, worst. I'm not a huge fan of the Baysmore signing. Like I, you know, okay. I, I watched him, you know, the last, his last couple of years in Atlanta, you know, he, he kind of started to lose his athleticism pretty young. And then, um, you know, in Portland that year, I don't know if he was out of shape or injured, but that year when he was in Portland and he was kind of their big acquisition and they dumped him on Sacramento, that, that, that year sticks in my mind more than what he did in golden state last year. And I know he did have a little bit, he did a nice bounce back and played a big role for that warriors team. So I think Slater could probably change my mind pretty quickly on this one, but when I saw that signing, I was very inspired because I'd seen what he did two years ago and kind of the way things ended in Atlanta. But um, if he's what he was last year for the Warriors, um, you know, he's fine. And especially, again, we're talking about minimum contracts. Like you don't have, you know, the options are not a lot better than that. Well, so much of, of Baysmore will be how does he shoot the three? And, you know, you mentioned the Portland season. And you're right. I mean, he was a big disappointment. Um, and they actually, I believe, flipped him for a reason. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. how that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how that happened. Yep. Yeah. So he, um, but but he shot forty percent from three for the Warriors and like was like great from the corners and hit big shots at times. And you know, if if I mean, and this is we could say this about so many NBA role players, particularly wings. Like, how do you shoot the three that season? That's how that's how we grade your season essentially. And he was it was a career best. So um, if he is truly going to be a 40% three-point shooter for the Lakers next season. He'll provide way more value than the minimum because he's going to defend with energy. He, he'll, he'll piss Frank Vogel off at times. Trust me, Steve Kerr got extremely frustrated when he would put Kent Bazemore in the game, and it was foul, 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 you know, other team in the bonus because he's being over-aggressive. But there are there were also times 
including, you know, the Warriors, especially early in the season, they had a lot of comebacks, including one against the Lakers uh, in Staples. They had one at home where they came from like 20 down in the second half to beat the Clippers. Like Bazemore energized those runs a lot of times. They put him in. He he created some deflections, some steals, got out in transition, hit a couple threes. He was su- he's super friendly with Steph Curry, and he's the kind of guy the crowd likes, you know a big shot happens. He's yelling at the crowd. Let's go. Come on. Like yelling at the bench. So he can, there'll be nights where you guys are writing like, wow, Kent Bazemore was a great signing. And then there might be stretches of like seven straight games where you're like, should Kent Bazemore even be in the rotation right now? So uh, I don't hate that at the minimum though. And I mean, the Warriors really did want him back so that it's not like uh, he didn't have anywhere to go in the late, you know, when we talk about more like some of the other situations, maybe there's like less of a market, I definitely think Bazemore will help, uh, but I, I hope he's not going there thinking. And I do believe from the Warriors' side of this, they they think he's going there a little bit like with a naive expectation that he's guaranteed in every night big role. Do you think that? No. I mean, I think they've got a lot of guys who probably are coming in thinking that way, and like just and like Yovan just laid out. I mean, this is it's it. They're going to be guys who get pinched. You know, Malik Monk to me is a guy who. You know, if he pans out, it's great, but you're not losing a lot if he doesn't play. Um, you know, Kendrick Nunn is obviously going to play. Um, THT is obviously going to play. Um, I think Ariza, Bazemore, um, Carmelo, you know, there's a little bit of a almost like a Lord of the Flies situation where it's like, well, counting on get like two of those guys, you know, panning out. You know, I don't think I don't think or at least not, you know, being in decline at a, at, a, at a steep level. I mean, I think there is a little bit gambling here, especially when you're dealing with guys who are that age that you need to sort of hedge your bets by bringing in guys who are a little redundant or at least positionally redundant because you don't know that th- those guys are going to you know, you can't necessarily trust that Trevor Ariza is going to be the guy for 82 games plus plus a playoff run at his at his age. As far as best signings go to, to make this a little more positive. There we go. Uh, <laughs> We've turned him finally. Uh, I, I'd go right. for, for, for me, value, value wise. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting that I went back and, and read um, John Hollinger's uh, free agent profiles for, for each of the guys that the Lakers signed. And in the case of Ariza, Ellington, and Bazemore, he had all three guys as candidates for the full taxpayer MLE. And the fact that they all signed for vet minimum contracts. I, I think that that speaks to the allure of playing for the Lakers and, and you know, guys willing to come and, and take a discount. Obviously, Bazemore turned down more years and more money uh, with the Warriors. But I, I think, you know, in Ellington's case, coming off a, a career best 42% from three, Ariza being a starter on the Heat, you know, a playoff team. So I think all, the, all three of those are good value contracts. But for me, I, I would say Dwight, I think they they learned from their mistake last year of you know signing Montrez Harrell over Dwight Howard. Uh, they should have retained Howard. You know, I, I think we, we all kind of talked about that at the beginning of last season. I think they went out and, and righted that wrong. And then I do really like the Malik Monk signing. Uh, I don't know where he fits into the rotation. I, I think just by virtue of adding Westbrook and then signing Nunn and, and THT to more money, like he is probably going to get squeezed at least to start. But I think that that's a high upside pick that the Lakers rarely make. And, and you know, just this is guy's a, was a lottery pick four years ago. He's still only 23. Um, and, and frankly, I'm surprised he signed with the Lakers just because you, you would think a guy in that spot would look for a bigger role elsewhere where he could 
you know, maybe have a bounce back year and, and earn a nice contract, uh, you know, going into the next off season. But, you know, he kind of took the, the path of, I want to contend for a championship. I, I want to see if I can, you know, help a, a contending team. So I, I think those two are, are probably not going to be as talked about as Mello or, or, you know, Ariza or Bazemore, but I really like the value on, on those two and, and just kind of, you know, writing the, the, the backup center spot, which, which I think was, was clearly an issue last season to some extent. And then also finding a intriguing young guy who, you know, if, if he hits, I, I think has arguably as much upside as anybody off the bench. Like, See, and you, you keep saying backup center. You're convinced that Dwight is coming off the bench, and I'm not. But we can we can get. Well, yeah, we, we can get into that in the next segment. Oh, the baby, a, a lineup that includes uh, Russ, Dwight Howard, Davis, LeBron. I mean, it it sounds powerful. It sounds uh, like they're going to beat you up physically at times. But man, that's a that's a condensed court. The I think, 2000, I think, 2012 I, Olympic team. <laughs> I think I, I think that's how they start, and like, I, based on the way they've played over the last few years, I think play, I think that's how they'll start. Play Melo too. Be, Just play Melo too. Great, but, fine. Yeah, start him. No, I mean I think I think Wayne Ellington starts with that group, and that's how they start, and then you know then it gets then they then they spread it out after the first six minutes. But that's that yeah. that is I'm standing by that one. So um, I like the Kendrick Nunn signing, and I mean he's he's the guy they went and used the TPLME or TPMLE on, um, which means like they felt it necessary to to you know uh, use their you know most maneuverable weapon and free agency on him. He kind of gives what Schroeder gave for mm-hmm. a lot you know less of the price that Schroeder wanted although Schroeder might end up getting that exact same price elsewhere which I'd love to ask you guys about that situation but um you know none just score I mean he's the type of guy that can you know if he's not on don't have him in the game if he is on he can change a second quarter basically with like you know 14 second quarter points or something like that he can shoot it can drive it a little bit he's he's kind of ambitious uh he doesn't defend quite like Schroeder does but I think, uh, and, and he's young too. You know, when we talk about this team, um, I, I think they do need a little bit more of the dynamic that Yovan was talking about. Like, you know, at least they did have, get a Malik Monk. At least they did get a Kendrick Nunn and a THT back. So there's people in their 20s on the roster. That's good. People who do not remember the first Bush administration. There you go. People who used MySpace. People who and did AI. not know there was a first Bush administration. <laughs> hey. Hey, the the Lakers are are getting people that are at least were born in the '90s. Uh, the Warriors are are stacking up on people born in the 2000s. All right, <laughs> they got three teenagers basically. Uh, well, but Bill mentioned it. Let's let's discuss quickly the the starting five, and then we could touch on Dennis, and then where the Lakers rank in the West. But starting five, my tentative starting five is Marcus Ol, Ad, LeBron, Wayne Ellington. And Russ, I think personally, I think Mark is going to continue to start. I, I think they kind of realized that they messed up with benching him and the whole Andre Drummond experiment. Um, you know, Mark is is still. I probably say Dwight is overall the better defender and and has that vertical lob threat. But Mark's shooting, passing, uh, and just floor spacing overall, I think, gives some stretch to that starting group. And then I think the shooting guard spot is fascinating because you could really make a case for four guys, in my opinion. You know, Wayne Ellington, to me, should be the favorite just because of how good of a shooter he is. But he is bad defensively. And put you know pairing him with Russ, I think, does create some defensive issues, especially when we're talking about 
facing a Portland, facing a Golden State, facing a Phoenix, where you have two dynamic you know, pick and roll ball handlers. I don't know how those guys are matching up with those guys. And, and that's potentially putting a lot on LeBron or maybe even AD, as we've seen him have to guard wings at, at times. Um, then you, you have Malik Monk, who I think is probably going to get squeezed. So I, I don't know if he starts, but maybe he, he sh- continues to shoot the ball at 40 plus percent. He, he you know, he's 23. He gets the starting nod. And I think there's Kent Bazemore, who are, I think it's probably the co-favorite with, with Ellington. For me, it's just how does Bazemore shoot? I think he's, he's clearly the best defender of this group. But, you know, can he shoot 38 plus percent? And then it's THT, who I think with how much he needs the ball and his lack of shooting, he probably makes more sense as a lead ball handler off the bench. And it just doesn't really fit as much with Russ and LeBron and those two guys needing the ball. So for me, it's probably Ellington versus Bazemore. I give the nod to Ellington, but I think the the shooting guard spot is really the pivot in the lineup where you know what you're getting with LeBron, AD, and Russ. But do you want more defense with Bazemore and he's kind of your stopper and he's defending the best one through three player? Or are you going more shooting with an Ellington, a guy who can run off flap, you know, floppy actions on the baseline, space the floor, and is a good movement shooter? Like I don't know which way you go, but for now I'm tentatively leaning towards Ellington. I think I, I agree with you. I also wonder, just as a thought exercise how different it would look if Anthony Davis would start at center, because we, we, we do know that AD is, is on board with playing more center in, in this season with Russ. And I just wonder if some of the problems you're talking about are addressed with AD, just starting games at the five, you can move, you know, um, LeBron kind of to the four. And then it's, whether it's Ariza, Baysmore, you know, you get a defensive presence in the front court and then you can kind of do what you want at the two guard spot. If that just sort of kind of simplifies things, but I don't know, I don't know to what degree AD is willing to take on, you know, being a full-time center. I think there's going to be more, but does he not want to start games there? I, I'm, I'm skeptical that he'd want to start games there, but would it, would it solve kind of what we're talking about? Some of the dilemmas we're talking about. I think that's going to be the biggest drama of the early season, because I mean, to be honest, if Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis are in a lineup and you have a center, you basically have three guys whose mm-hmm. best position are center. I mean, I know it, it sounds weird to say with Westbrook, but there's a reason Houston stopped having a center because like Russell Westbrook kind of needed to occupy the areas of the court at times that centers occupy offensively. At least we're talking about, he's not necessarily guarding centers, but it's just, you know, I just what Westbrook, a center and Davis as three of the five, I just think that's going to be clunky early in the season, even though if, you know, I trust you guys that that's very much probably how it'll start. But I think what Bill's talking about and Jovan, I know you have discussed is I just, I I think it's just going to end up where Davis is going to have to play a majority of his time there, including probably starting games. And and that kind of solves the Mark Dwight dynamic where, I mean, realistically, we're we're talking about two backup centers here in Mark and Dwight. And, and, um, you know, I have a projected depth chart and rotation coming out soon. And, I have both guys playing 15 minutes a night. Like I don't see that either one really playing more than that. I think maybe if you match up with Denver at some point in the playoffs, that, that that's where one of those two uh, plays a larger role. And and I, I think for, you know for the Lakers, if AD doesn't want to play the five in that case, you have two guys who could bang with Jokic or or Embiid or whatever center you, you end up facing. And I think you feel more confident with that combination than Drummond and, and Trez. So uh, I, I get yeah. I mean I think to, to Bill's point. The starting lineup, 
I think we're, we're talking more here, like what it's probably going to be, but what it should be is, is I think AD LeBron, Ariza, Bazemore, Russ, or like, you know, Ariza, Ellington, Russ, or, or Bazemore, Ellington, Russ, right? Like some combination of, of those six guys, but most likely it is probably going to be a center. And, and that that's the only reason why I give the edge to Mark. Like, I, I think Dwight might even, you know, be a better, more impactful player than, than Mark. I just, I have concerns with the Dwight, AD, Russ, you know, trio, but um, let, let's get into, uh, got a couple of minutes here left. Let, let's talk quickly about Dennis and then where the Lakers rank in the West. The Dennis thing where, is, where, is just, it, what? Yeah. I was just say predictions. Like, where's he going? What's he getting? I have no I idea mean, where he's going. He, you mean after one of the all-time <laughs> boner decisions ever? Um, I mean, I, I, Dennis Schroeder should fire his agent. Like, I mean, with all due respect, like he, the, the idea that Dennis Schroeder was like, I'm going to bet on myself in free agency in a market that is saturated with point guards, um, and I'm going to get more than $84 million in free agency was just always ludicrous. The Lakers, like as far as I'm concerned, once the once he turned that Lakers offer down, the the the, the relationship between the Lakers and Dennis Schroeder was over. You know, they tried to trade him for Kyle Lowry. Um, I don't even know who has their mid levels left. I don't. I mean, there was there was a time when they when the Lakers let Alex Crusoe go. Something we haven't gotten into on this podcast. I did wonder if maybe that meant that they were open to bringing back Schroeder on sort of a you know, short term team friendly deal in like a sixth man role. But that's obviously flown with um, Kendrick Nunn coming out in and what I presume is going to be that role. So I don't know where Schroeder goes, but he's not getting, you know, anywhere close what he thought he was worth. And I don't know. And maybe there's a, a bigger contract waiting for him down the road, but I that think, is a man yeah, who's going to spend the rest deal. of his life. That is a man who's going to spend the rest of his life regretting uh, turning down $84 million. Most likely his answer. And this is probably the correct uh, strategic play for him at this point is one year deal, you know, for w- whatever he can get one years and then just go try to have a great season where you yep. know wherever and you know warriors got the taxpayer mid-level still available and they need a guard who can score it a little bit do you Perfect. want to take one year 5.9 million no no probably not what you say one year 5.9 that's perfect that's i mean that's i i don't know where there's more money than that for him well, okc okc's not signing him like into cap space yeah no although maybe they would have trade him for another first rounder because they did that with the lakers <laughs> So, I mean, obviously, Schroeder's the more interesting of the situations because he's still out there searching for, for a new home. But Caruso's the more impactful one. I mean, and it was the one, and I'm sure you two had, were thinking was more likely he'd return than Schroeder. Um, and he got, what, four, what was it, four for 37 from Chicago, I think, something like that, which is, you know, I think that's a reasonable contract for Alex Caruso. And at least according to our uh, Sam Amick, like the, the Lakers didn't even counter. How surprised were you guys about that and how that played out the my understanding is the lakers pretty clearly went into the, the caruso thing with with um sort of a ceiling on what they were gonna on what they were gonna do for caruso and the bulls came in higher than that and the lakers weren't gonna budge and so i think you know i think the lakers were probably my guess would be that the lakers were trying to you know keep caruso away from another contender so they probably thought that you know if they could beat you know probably taxpayer mid-levels that they could bring him back and they just weren't willing to you know, come up to where Chicago got to, which I just think, you know, it's probably ultimately short-sighted, you, you know, if it's over a couple of million dollars. And, you know, I understand that there's, you know, that there is luxury tax involved and that this gets starts getting really expensive. And you could probably talk me into the value that you get from, uh, uh, from Kent Bazemore on a minimum for one year might in some way sort of um, 
iron out to be roughly what you're going to get for Alex Caruso you know, at $10 million. But man, when you're talking about maximizing you know, one year of LeBron James or two years of LeBron James, which is what everything about this Lakers you know, roster is designed to do, you know, everything about the way the Lakers are operating is about making sure they're maximizing the time they have left with LeBron James. Nobody's advanced numbers are better with LeBron James and Alex Caruso. I mean, they are one of the best you know, statistical duos in the entire league. And um, it just, it just surprises me that there wasn't higher value placed on that, that they weren't willing to go higher. Um, especially I thought because of the number they got Horton Tucker at, like, I thought that the deal for, for Talon was very reasonable. I thought that could go higher. I thought that, you know, potentially, you know, there might be some teams looking uh, to make a splash and, and take a little bit of a flyer on him and push the Lakers hand a little bit. And I thought getting him for $11 million with, you know, you know three, you know, on a three-year deal um, with a, with an option in the third year, like all very reasonable, um, I feel like they had still some, you know, again, not my money in the, in the, in the luxury tax, but I really thought that they could have come up a little bit more to keep Caruso. And then you have one of your most valuable um, role players, one of the most valuable role players in the entire league. I'm surprised that that's a risk they're willing to take. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think it was a mistake. Like, I think they will live to regret not having Alex Caruso, a guy who doesn't need the ball offensively, who makes winning plays, not even just like in man to man defense or help defense, but just, you know, 50, 50 balls, um, getting out on the break, you know, he's 27 years old. Um, you know, he was really an ideal fit on this team. His shooting was improving. He shot 40% from three last year. Not that he was shooting a lot of them, but he was, um, he was improving on that front. I just think that that, that this is going to go down as, as, as the mistake of the off season. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more with what Bill said. I mean, I, I've been making this point on Twitter and, and getting a, a lot of flack from, uh, on it from, Part of the Yovan, fan base, Yovan, like, get ne- out of those never tweet, Yovan. never tweet. Dude, I mean, yeah, get out of those I, mentions, Yovan. <laughs> it's tough, but yeah, I, I've, you know I've, I learned, I've learned my lesson. This is my tip: I tweet and I just mute the conversation. Like, I, it's, I just, I don't That's need that toxicity funny. in my life. If you're responding to my tweet, here's a, here's a, here's a little, here's a little, uh, uh, something for you. I don't see it. I don't want to see it. You know why? Because you're probably an asshole. So I don't want to see what you have to say because I don't need that in my life. I have Bill, two kids Bill, that are assholes. The, I don't need these, you too. Bill, some of these loyal listeners are the people tweeting at you. And some of them, I must say, can be very friendly. You know, I have, you know, they're very friendly subscribers and, uh, you know, commenters. But yeah, in general, particularly when a tweet catches fire, get out of the mentions. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, I had a couple of positive ones, but people, of course, latch on to the negative. And I mean, I don't even think this is a hot take. It, it's objectively... The Lakers are worse defensively, particularly in their backcourt. I, I think you can make the case that I like what they did in the front court. I, I think going from Trez, Drummond, uh, Keefe, and I, I guess if you can sit like Wes is kind of on that two, three borderline um, to Dwight, Ariza, and Bazemore, like that, that, that's an upgrade to me. You know, they're more athletic, bigger, longer. Older, yes, but but overall, that, that is a front court upgrade. I, 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 uh, upgrade. I like the the front court defense more. The back court, though, I think clearly declining, and that's where they're really going to miss Caruso. And I think, you know, we we people make the jokes about Caruso, and uh, you know, the, there was the SI story uh, with the the UPS quote about how he looks like a UPS guy, and um, and, and you know, he's, he's been called the goat, and like you know, the, the, there's all the memes and jokes, but. Alex Crusoe has developed into one of the best defensive guards in basketball point blank period. Like he is an elite defender. He was a a candidate for the all defensive teams. 
And every defensive metric paints him as an elite, really, really good defender. And I know he doesn't look the part, right? Like I, I know he, he's not, and he's not really a guy who's out there getting a bunch of steals and deflections. And he's just playing solid on ball perimeter, you know, one-on-one defense and, and rotating, taking charges, just making the right rotations. But I, I think my one issue with this roster, and again, we talk, we've talked about it now multiple times on the podcast, is when you're looking at the Lakers versus the Suns, when you're looking at the Lakers versus the Warriors, and I think those are their two biggest threats in the West currently, uh, or you're looking at the Lakers versus the Nets, who are, to me, probably the best team in the NBA, I don't love how they match up defensively with the backcourt. And, and you know, you're just putting so much pressure on Kent Bazemore and Trevor Ariza two guys who played a majority of their minutes at forward last season to all of a sudden become backcourt defenders. And if they can't do it, now you're kind of betting on Russ. And Russ is capable physically, but we haven't seen an engaged Russell Westbrook defensively in over a half decade, if not even going on almost a decade. So like, you're just kind of betting on some stuff here that I don't know how you could be that confident in. And we've seen like what, you know, Phoenix made the finals in part because nobody could stop their backcourt, including the Lakers, even with their good guard defenders, but now they're even worse. So I think, you know, and tying this back to Caruso, I just think them keeping Alex Caruso and and paying that extra, I think it was around 40 million into the luxury tax with with that $9 million salary, that to me would have balanced this roster so much more. And if it meant losing out on a Malik Monk or or not getting Kendrick Nunn at, at the taxpayer MLE, maybe you don't even spend your taxpayer MLE, I would have preferred that because I would have liked the two-way balance more. And, and to me, Caruso's a closer. He closes with your big three. Then that fifth spot, you go Bazemore, Ariza, whoever's your, your kind of best wing that night. But to, to me, I, I couldn't agree more that I think losing Caruso is really going to hurt them. Yeah. the uh, I kind of like his fit with Lonzo in, in Chicago, like kind of uh, you know defending next to Zach mm-hmm. Levine. I don't necessarily love DeMar DeRozan for three for 85, but... Uh, yeah, I, you know, so much pressure is just going to be on LeBron and Davis. Like, you know, other defensive issues can be ma- masked if Davis is defensive player of the year, Davis, not the Davis that kind of, you know, suffered through last season. And same with LeBron. Like, what kind of season is he the LeBron pre high ankle sprain or post high ankle sprain? Essentially, can he get back to that? Uh, pre high ankle sprain. So that is probably dictates whether we think they win the title or not, as it did last season. I mean, every conversation we had last season was uh, by the end, it was always qualified. Like, if LeBron and Davis can be their best selves, they're probably the favorite in the West. If they can't, they don't, they definitely don't have the answers and they certainly don't with this roster. Well, I do think like we do have to also remember that the Lakers are going to go into next season having had five months. You know, Anthony Davis came into uh, training camp, you know, by some accounts, not not in great shape after after the championship, you know, kind of tried to ease into the season, sort of, bought, I think, bought in more into the idea that, you know, that because of the quick turnaround, the Lakers were going to ease into the season much more than LeBron James did. But either way, those guys both, you know, had really no, no break between seasons. And I think that matters. And now they're going to have a five-month sort of offseason and reset coming into this year. So I would expect Anthony Davis to come in um, ready to go on day one, be a better version of himself than he was on day one a year ago. And same with LeBron. And I do think that the, the impact of this offseason on those two guys is going to be a big part of of where this team ultimately ends up. Final question here. Let, let's wrap up with this. Where do you guys see the Lakers in the West hierarchy and the league hierarchy? Um, and, and take that where you want to take it. 
the East, and I think this will be a story exiting the offseason and into the preseason. Like people, it's going to be like the, the the popular take. Like, is the East better than the West this season? Um, but you know, you have the Bucks as defending champs, and like we can imagine, Giannis is going to be just supreme. It should be supremely confident, and will be going into next season. I'd say he's probably the MVP favorite. Um, the Nets, if they're healthy, have. I mean, I just think the way Durant played in the playoffs, like it's just proved, like. You know, if that Nets team is healthy, they're yeah probably with the Bucks and maybe a step above the Bucks. And I, you know, I think the Lakers. I do not think they're title favorites at all heading into next season. We can get into the West, uh, but I would put them in a tier below Milwaukee and Brooklyn. What do you think about? I mean, Phoenix is the defending conference champ, but they don't feel like some like un destroyable lion up there i think the west is wide open including i mean what's up with Kawhi? the clippers situation can we take the, the you know we might be able to just cross the clippers off the list denver's still not going to have jamal murray for a large part of the season maybe the entire thing the warriors you know if if they check about five different boxes that go their way which is like clay comes back and looks like himself the young guys help you know maybe um they can be in the conversation but i'd probably put the you know like lakers Suns feel like it's it's my like one, two, I don't know which way to go. And then below that, there's a bunch of question marks. Well, and like, I mean, also like, I also like kind of what Utah did. I like Utah getting Rudy Gay. I think that helps them. And that was the, t- that was, yeah. that was the number one seed in the West. I, I, I think the way Utah has exited the last couple of years has sort of um, hurt their credibility as an actual contender because of the way they've wilted in the playoffs now twice. But um, I think they got a little bit better this offseason, too. And, and, and so they're in the mix. But, you know, I guess if you're asking me to pick a favorite in the West, it would be the Lakers just because of the confidence I have in, you know, a healthy LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But it's, you know, it's it's different from the East because it feels like, again, what I said earlier, you are counting on a lot of things not going wrong and things can go wrong. And so with especially with a team that, that that is as old as this one is just to you know call a spade a spade. So I, I think the Lakers are probably deserve to be the preseason favorite in the West, but my confidence that they'll win it is, um, is, is, uh, is somewhat tempered by that. After being all pessimistic during the podcast, I I think I'm the most optimistic on the Lakers chances, but only because I think if everyone were healthy, I'd probably put the Clippers and the Nuggets as the, you know, like Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets in some order as the top three. And the fact that the Clippers don't have Kawhi for most, if not all the season, and then the Nuggets don't have Jamal Murray for most likely most of the season, that to me just knocks those two teams out. So yeah. like, I think just by virtue of that, I, I have the Lakers as the favorites. I think Phoenix, I mean, we, we all saw it. Lakers were up 2-1 before Anthony Davis goes down. I do think that I mean, Slater and I covered the Suns pretty closely. Like they obviously had a special run, but I think the Lakers win that series if Anthony Davis mm-hmm. is healthy. And you know that that's a coulda, woulda, shoulda. But I just think it's not a great matchup for Phoenix in, in terms of the front court dynamics and just the physical advantages LeBron and AD have over them. So I, I would still pick the Lakers over the Suns, and then even go to the Warriors. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of question marks with that team, and I think you know Clay. What we'll, we'll see what state he's in and, and and we'll see what what we get from James Wiseman in year two I might put them third in the west or or, or maybe you know third highest ceiling but Bill I, this I'm guy still... clearly didn't see Jonathan Kaminga go <laughs> off in the summer league last night unbelievable in the in the, in the California I'm, classic the California I'm, classic baby 
I'm still like with, with that, with that, with the Warriors, I'm, I'm still like, I, I think the Lakers have the front, the state, like it's, it's kind of a similar thing to Phoenix where I'm like, I, I you know, I just felt like they, they have a, a physical advantage in the front court again, that will, will probably be overwhelming. And, and so, I mean, I don't know. And then kind of going down the list, like I don't trust Utah to Bill's point after the last two flameouts, like Utah's is the, the team that like every year I'm, I'm super high on. I'm like the, you know, top four, top three seed. And then it either doesn't happen or it happens. And then they, they flame out. So I've, I'm kind of giving up on Utah, even though I don't really want to. And then I just look at like, I don't think Portland's on that level. I don't think Dallas is on that level. Uh, and I, I don't even know off the top of my head who else is left. you know, again, Denver. I'm, interested, I'm, interested, I, I'm interested in Portland and like, and I only because like, I wonder how, Chauncey Billups and there being a new voice in Portland could um, ultimately impact things. Like, you know, I, I, this is not a comparison. This is not a real comparison I'm going to make, but like, you know, like when the Warriors changed leadership and brought in Steve Kerr to replace Mark Jackson and they brought in, you brought in a new voice and, you know, there were a couple of really um, innovative uh, tactical changes, obviously with Draymond and, and, and David Lee, and it completely changed the trajectory of that team without really changing core pieces. I wonder if there could be a similar effect in Portland. Obviously, Dame's a lot older than Steph was when that happened, but I, I, I am allowing for the possibility that Portland sort of um, comes out of this quagmire and and takes a big step. I'd be stunned. I, 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 I think it's more likely like Damian Lillard at some points like asking out. Um, I mean, it's but, right on the edge of that right now, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So we'll see. I mean, that's I, I'm excited about the preseason going into the West because. It feels so open because the Lakers don't like, you know, I, I said it at the time, but like, you know, covering from a Warriors perspective, I was like, I, the Lakers made the Westbrook trade and I don't think the Warriors are at the Lakers level, but I do think it brought them closer because I think it just brought the Lakers down. I think the Lakers ceiling of last season's team is lower than this season's team with the West that just question marks everywhere. And I think we could all legitimately like, say like i don't know six teams could could emerge next season and and win the west yeah uh i guess what what are you saying the six are then i mean are you like obviously phoenix lakers um you know i think that uh utah obviously you put in there denver will see it's like kind of a murray dependent but you know murray probably will be back at some point like late late in the season um the warriors what Dallas, Dallas, with, with if Doncic just kind of has his like Renaissance MVP season, I don't know. I mean, like nobody just, yeah, nobody. That, that, that's why I default to just like I think LeBron and AD are the two best. That's the best tandem in the West, and arguably even in basketball when, when you know at their peak. So I, but the, I mean the Westbrook. I I think like what what my kind of just view on the whole season now that we're you know, a week removed from the Westbrook trade is like. We can talk about the shooting. We can talk about the starting shooting guard spot, the starting center spot, the the rotation, this and that. Like ultimately, this season is going to be determined by how does Russell Westbrook fit in with LeBron and AD? Is he yeah. willing to sacrifice his game in a way we've never seen from him? Is he willing to cut off the ball? Is he willing to share the ball handling duties with LeBron? Is he, is he willing like to thunder coaches like ten years ago? Um, is he willing to try defensively? Like those are the questions to me that will ultimately determine if this works or not. Yeah, that plus, you know, the what if you mentioned or like, you know, if LeBron and AD are at their peak selves, I think that's just a bigger question than it used to be too, you know. It as what's Le, what's LeBron heading into next season 37? He'll be 37 in December. 
I mean, you know, so, all right. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, thanks so much for listening for Good check Bill. In. Yeah. Good off season check in. We should do this again sometime. Nah. Uh, <laughs> for, uh, for Bill Anthony and myself, uh, we appreciate you guys listening. And as of now we are on a breaking news schedule. So if, if anything notable happens, that's when we'll, we'll do these pods, but we'll be returning in October for training camp and, and all that stuff. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. But thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you soon.